You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. And it was, it was a, a real weight for many of us. And I felt like I needed to say that I, I totally understand that. That it was a, a heavy sermon. And it was heavy for a reason. It's because I don't want anybody to miss out on the goodness of Jesus. That what Jesus has for us when we follow him day to day is so good and so rich that I don't want any of us to miss out on that. Last week, the image I have in my mind, that last week was the unveiling that for many of us, our spiritual lives are famine. And this is the invitation to the feast. And so if there was a heaviness that sat upon you all week, I understand. But this is the feast. This is the good news. And so, friends, I can't wait to get into it. Let me pray, and then we'll open up God's Word together. God, you are so good to us. You're so merciful, so kind, so loving. God, I pray that, we, uh, that as we walk in step with you, as we become your apprentices, as we follow Jesus, that we would not only see this and know this, but experience this in our lives. God, we pray that as we gather together this morning, that we would have our eyes raised towards you that our eyes would not be on the everyday experiences that many of us are, are feeling, the emotions that, uh, that are so strong at the moment, but rather we would have our eyes centered on the God who is in control from the beginning, the God who is in control in the middle, and the God who will be in control in the end. God, we need you, so be with us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we we are doing this series called The Way of Jesus, which is about discipleship, participating in the way of Jesus, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so last week, we unpacked a, a little bit of what that would look like in Jewish culture, that discipleship was an everyday reality for uh, Jews. And uh, I want to nerd out a little bit and just go a little bit deeper into the history, that's okay. I'm a, a little bit of a nerd myself, right? And so I hide it. Uh, I understand. Sarah came home from work one day and uh, I was talking with a friend about comic books and uh, my friend left and she said, you're, you're a nerd. You hide it really, really well, but you're a nerd. So yes, I am a nerd. I uh, do own uh, 100 issues of uh, the Phantom comic, which is on the... Uh... That's right. That's right. Uh, and so we're going to nerd out a little bit about some history. In Jewish culture... There were three distinct stages of discipleship. So if you were uh, a young boy or girl, what you would participate in is called Beit Sefer, known as the house of the book. And this was essentially like primary school. That if you were a young boy or a young girl in the village, that around the ages of five to six, that you would join Beit Sefer, the house of the book, and you would learn how to read or to write according to the book. Right? Uh, and so that would go through to about the ages of 13, where if you were a boy, you would go with your father and learn your father's trade. If you were a, a woman, if you were a girl, that you would probably be married and start to have babies. And what they would do in Beit Sefer is they would memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So they would learn off by heart Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Those are the books that we get halfway through and put down and don't pick back up. They've got, like, Aiden, how old are you, Aiden? 13. So, Aiden, right now, if you were in Jewish culture, you would have memorized Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. 
How are you doing? <laughs> I put you on the spot, right? But uh, I'm joking because most of us don't have that done. And uh, it feels so far removed uh, from our, our culture, right? This is what it feels like. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I went to Europe. And uh, specifically, I went to Switzerland and I got to snowboard on the Swiss Alps, which is a, a great experience. And I say snowboarding, uh, what I did mostly was sliding. Uh, down the Swiss Alps, and uh, you can actually see on the screen that there's a patch of snow uh, located on my rear uh, that comes mostly from me sliding down. But the most furiating part of it was that there were six-year-olds snowboarding and skiing next to me doing jumps. It was the worst, but that's how it must feel like for us. There were these six-year-olds who would know the Torah in and out. They would be memorizing it day by day. But there was another stage of our discipleship in Jewish culture, if we go to the next slide. And this was called Beit Midrash, the house of learning. This is where the best of the best, those who excelled in memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament would go. And they would start to learn the prophets and the rest of the writings. So that the, by the time about 15 or 16, they would have the entirety of the Old Testament memorized. Remember, it's an oral culture. Like, th- this is what they did. But still, it's an impressive feat. And what would happen that the best of the best of the best of the best would eventually go on and have an interview with a rabbi. Someone who would come into their midst and interview them and grill them about their knowledge. They would ask them, how well do you know the Torah? How well do you know the Mishnah? What what do you think about the covenant with Abraham? What are your views on Gamaliel's uh, ideas about creation? What, What do you think? And at the end of the interview, if the rabbi thought that you had what it took, that you were talented, you were skilled, you were disciplined, you were driven, he would say something like, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. Come and be my Talmudim. And this was the third stage. This was the hardest stage to get into. You've already survived two cuts, and now you're spending all day, every day, with your rabbi. And if you're with your rabbi, you had three goals. Be with your rabbi, become like your rabbi, and to do what your rabbi did. First one, be with your rabbi. Your goal was to be around them 24-7. It was a 24-7 apprenticeship. You didn't go home, you didn't have shifts, you didn't clock off, there were no holidays. You spent all day, every day with your rabbi. You walked with your rabbi, you ate with your rabbi, you slept with your rabbi, you went to the toilet. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) We do love toilet humor. There was a well-known like, Jewish blessing that like, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi, that you would be blessed to spend all day following your rabbi in the desert, covering and collecting their dust. Be with your rabbi. The second goal was to become like your rabbi. We live in a culture where the outward application for many of us is to, to become who you are, right? Be yourself. Be true to yourself. Find out your own individual flavor. This was not the goal in first century culture. The goal of an apprentice was to be the carbon copy of their rabbi. They would uh, f- like take off their words, they would, co- uh, they would um, copy their walking style, the way they talk, the way they approached life, they would wear the same clothes. Right? It sort of looks like this. We've got the next photo, right? Apprenticeship, right? 
we actually came to church wearing the same clothes three weeks in a row, which uh, is excellent. And then the third goal is to do what your rabbi did. Next slide. The goal of any apprentice is to become like their teacher. The goal of being an apprentice was to eventually become a rabbi. Like the, the, what you hope to see or what you hope to hear eventually after following this rabbi for a couple of years, a couple of seasons, was for him to come to you and say, you're ready. Go and make disciples. So take my, my nerd hat off. We're done with a little bit of history. I think this is the basic template for what it looks like to be an apprentice of Jesus, what it looks like to live life in the kingdom, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. Can we go two slides forward now, Aiden? That our goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And so our task is to order our lives around these realities, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And today we're going to unpack that. So let me start with the the first one, be with Jesus. In some ways, this is the most important goal, that if you remember anything from today about what it looks like to an apprenticeship with Jesus, it's being with Jesus. Jesus, spending every day, all day, in his footsteps, 24-7 apprenticeship, discipleship. And you might ask, well, how on earth do I do that? Jesus is not physically here with me, right? He's not hiding at the back. He's not going to pop out like a Where's Wally book. Oh, I'm here. Now you can follow me, right? We don't have John or Peter or any of the disciples who can tell us specifically, like physically in the flesh about Jesus. So what does it look like to spend all day, every day with Jesus? I think the short version is it's building an awareness of and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And day by day, we become more like Jesus as we spend time with Him. So John uh, chapter 14, 25 to 28, which is Jesus' farewell discourse with the disciples. He's he's got His crew together and He's telling them, I'm about to go and what's going to happen? And He says this, I've spoken these things to you whilst I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. So what Jesus is telling the disciples is, I'm leaving. They freak out. They have a panic attack. And what Jesus says, don't freak out. Don't panic. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the counselor. And then Jesus says this just a couple of verses later in chapter 15. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and they throw them in the fire and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The metaphor for what it looks like to be with Jesus, according to Jesus, is to be a branch who remains in the vine. A branch who is connected to the vine. The word that comes up again and again and again, especially in our translation, is remain. Other translations might have abide or stay connected with. How do we abide? How do we remain? How do we build this awareness of a relationship to the Spirit? I think it's what writers like John Mark Comer and Dallas Willard call the practice of being two places at once. And you might think of that as some like airy-fairy thing. It's not at all. It's actually something that you do every single day. We just call it daydreaming. You, you're driving, you're doing something at work, and all of a sudden you look up and 10 minutes has passed and you don't know what's happened. Maybe, hopefully you don't do that while driving. That would be very dangerous, right? Maybe you do that at work. That's sometimes what I do at work. That's unintentional, though. You're not intending to spend two, pla- two places at once. It's an unintentional what this is, I think, is an intentional decision to not only be where you are, but to also be with God. Driving on the highway and with God. Having your coffee and in the presence of God. At work and in the presence of God. Eating breakfast and in the presence of God. Eating dinner and in the presence of God. Being with people and in the presence of God. Sitting with your family and in the presence of God. It's what I think Paul is describing when he talks about prayer without ceasing. The practice of being two places at once. Dallas Willard, who uh, is a great pastor, says it like this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits. They are not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of, the, of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward being. Oh, how good is that? This will not come easily. We live in a distracted culture where we have our mind on everything but God. This will need to be a practice, an intentional decision to remain in the presence of God. Another writer, William Paulsell, tells it like this. It is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will, need, there will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and a clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. I love that. There is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper and clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. This is what the, the spiritual disciplines are what we call habits of grace, time-tested ways and means of spending time with God, of slowing down and saying, God, you were here, but I wasn't here. 
I was off on the freeway. I was on Facebook. I was on Twitter. I was arguing with my friend. I was, I was everywhere but here. But now I'm here. And you're here. <sighs> Fasting, prayer, reading our Bible, silence and solitude. These are time-tested means of meeting with God and being with Jesus. But it's important that I say this. These are means to an end. The point of reading your Bible isn't to read your Bible. The point of prayer isn't to pray. The point of, of, of spending time in silence and solitude isn't just so that you can be alone and quiet. The point of all of these is that you're with Jesus. They lead us to Jesus. And in most cases, lead us back to Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are going to be vital if we want to spend time with Jesus. The second goal, being like Jesus. Out of that place of meeting with Jesus, of being with Him, of being in an awareness to and relationship with the Spirit, what comes out of that is that day by day, week by week, year by year, we actually start to take on both the characteristics, the character and the lifestyle of Jesus. It's what, uh, if you've been around in the church for a little bit, what we call sanctification or spiritual formation. I really love this, uh, this definition of spiritual formation by John Mark Comer, if we've got this quote on the screen. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of Jesus, our teacher. Becoming like Jesus is the process of increasingly being possessed and permeated, right? wholly taken over by the character traits of Jesus, becoming like Him. And the trouble is that, as we talked about last week, is that we're all disciples of someone or something. And the question isn't, uh, are you being formed? The question is, who are you being formed into? If you plotted out your life for the next 20 years, if you plot out your character arc, who or what are you becoming? Are you on track to express the character traits, the lifestyle of Jesus where you are? Are you, are, you Jesus, are you going to be Jesus expressed in your culture, in your community, with your lifestyle and your gender and your knowledge? Or are you becoming something else? When I was growing up, the hottest item on the market was these bracelets called uh, WWJD. We've got this on the screen. What would Jesus do? And uh, this is honestly a great question. But this is not a bad question. Uh, if you were a teenager, as I was in the 90s, everyone had one of these, if not 10 to 15, right? because they were a must-have accessory. There's a problem, though, with the question. The problem is that uh, Jesus was a first-century Jew who never owned an iPhone. There's about 2,000 years of culture gap that make me struggle going, well, I, sometimes I actually don't know what Jesus would do. But here's a more interesting question. What would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do in my situation or my context or my community? What would Jesus do if he was in my experiences? That's the goal of becoming like Jesus, that Jesus expressed in our community, in our cultures. 
There's a great word on this in Galatians 5, which we might have heard a a number of times. This is the the fruits of the Spirit, and Paul picks up what Jesus says. Can we go uh, to the next slide? So Jesus says in in John 15, verse 5, these, these words. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. So Paul picks up this idea of producing fruit, this spiritual fruit. So now can we go to Galatians, Aiden? You're doing a phenomenal job. Galatians chapter 5, verses, 15, uh, verses 16 to 25. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, uh, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. I don't know what that is. I want to find out. But not do it, importantly. And anything similar, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now comes the bit we all know. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step. With the Spirit. This is a, a almost entirely misunderstood group of sayings because we read this and we say, well, these are commands. I should be more loving and be more joyful and be more peaceful and be more uh, kind and be more uh, gentle. But I don't know if you picked up when Paul was walking through these in verses 22-23, there's no command there. There's no command at all. And I think that's because that would never work. Commanding someone to be more loving doesn't necessarily lend them to being more loving. They'll act more loving, they'll pretend to be more loving, but there'll be this juxtaposition, this distance between what they're doing and what they're actually feeling. You can can act loving towards someone while still cultivating hate in your heart. You can portray gentleness and peace while still having anxiety and fear in your soul. What Jesus is getting at is the transformed life. He wants us not to act loving or act gentle or act peaceful, but to be peaceful, to become peaceful. I don't know if you're the kind of person who who worries a lot or has anxiety. I I was never like that. I was never someone who had anxiety or worried very much until last year, and I I sort of shared some of that. And so whenever someone would be worried, the advice that I always give them is just this, don't be worried. (laughs) And now that I have worried, I realize I hate those people. (laughs) Right? Because... When you're fearful, the hardest thing is to be something that you're not. There's this distance between what you're feeling and what you are. And I think what Jesus is actually getting at is not to act in a certain way, but to become a certain way. There are two commands in Galatians 5, 16 to 15, uh, 25. As far as I can see it, it's 16 and verse 25. So in verse 16, Paul says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You must walk by the Spirit. And then what does he say in verse 25? 
if we live by the Spirit, or since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. How do you be like Jesus? Well, as you walk in step with the Spirit, abiding in, remaining in, staying in Jesus, you start to take on His character traits, His characteristics. And it's not that you have to act more loving or act more peaceful or act more self-controlled. You actually become those things. This is what the New Testament writers called transformation. It's a heart renovation. It's not that we have to act in certain ways to become like Jesus. It's that when we spend time with Jesus, when we be with Jesus, we actually become like Jesus. So where are we up to? Number three. Our goals as a disciple is one, to be with Jesus, two, to become like him, and three, to do what Jesus did. I've got a number of mates who are apprentices, electricians, right? The goal of being an electrician isn't that you know everything about being an electrician. The goal of the, at the end of your apprenticeship is that you become an electrician, right? The same goal. You're apprenticing with a rabbi. The goal is to become the rabbi. Now, when we're apprenticing with Jesus, the goal, end goal, the, the thing that we're working towards as we be with Jesus and become like Jesus is we actually do what Jesus did, now, there's a little bit of distance there because Jesus is also the Son of God and there's, like we can talk about that. We don't have time. Come and ask me a question after the service. But the end point of us being with Jesus and being like Jesus is we do what he did. So here's, here's a, a question where I need some audience participation. What did Jesus do? What are the things that he did? Healed the sick. What, what else? Forgave people. Asked really good questions or difficult questions. Yeah. What else? Someone say fought? Taught. He taught. Yeah, he didn't fight. I know you didn't say that, but that's what I heard. It's like, ah, yes, the forgotten gospel where Jesus becomes a wrestler. (laughs) Okay, what else? What else did Jesus do? Died on a cross. What else? Challenged. What else? Connected with people far from God, right? And so as we become like Jesus, he actually invites us to participate in the kingdom work of doing what he did. We actually see this in the Bible. So uh, in Matthew 10, verses 1 to 8, Jesus is with his disciples, the people who've been spending time with him, being with him and becoming like him. And what does he do? He summons his 12 disciples and he gives them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after giving them instructions. Don't take the road leading to other towns and don't go into any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then, what does he say? These are important words. As you go... Announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, the lepers, drive out demons you have received free of charge, give free of charge. I love this. Jesus is saying, as you have been with me, as you have become like me, I now send you out to participate in the work of the kingdom. Teach, heal, forgive, cleanse. This is the end point of, doing, of being with Jesus and being like Jesus is that we do what he did. 
That we participate in the kingdom work of Jesus in Melton, in Caroline Springs, in Bacchus Marsh and the ends of the earth, which may actually be Bacchus Marsh. (laughs) So the goal of an apprenticeship with Jesus is to be with him, to be like him and to do what he did. Now the thing about this is this is not going to work as a hobby. This is not something that, that works as a side piece, that, well, I've, I've got my daily apprenticeship with Jesus and spending 24-7 communion with him, and, but also this is my main thing, is to, I don't know, do a backflip on a bike. Right? Actually, I don't think anyone has that as their goal, but that's the first thing that came into my head. Right? It's not a hobby. This is something that needs to be the focal point of our lives, a daily apprenticeship with Jesus. But don't hear this and go, crud, I need to quit my job and become a pastor or spend time as a monk or a nun in the woods somewhere. But that's not what this is. This is something that we all need to do where we are. Spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did in our lives and in our context, being an apprentice of Jesus as a nurse or a doctor or a paramedic or a pyromaniac, <laughs> right? becoming like Jesus and doing what he did as a, as a, like a, um, a factory worker or a, a lawyer or a mortgage broker or a policeman or a uni student. Everywhere we go, we have as our main focal point apprenticeship with Jesus expressed through our lives. So don't quit your job. But this is not something that will just happen through osmosis. It's not something we absorb. It's not the kind of thing where you're going to read the Bible a couple of times, be in church, and then suddenly you become like Jesus. Bang. Three weeks. This will take practice. This will take continual, intentional decision-making to, to be like Jesus. But I actually think Jesus teaches this. And so I, I don't know if you've read the Sermon on the Mount lately. This is Jesus' most famous group of teachings about what life looks like in the kingdom, what life looks like as an apprentice to Jesus. And it's it's beautiful and it's hard. It's 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 full on. And Jesus assumes that this life will be fairly messy, that if you go through what Jesus teaches, he'll assume that uh, you will sin and the people will sin against you. He assumes that you'll get into fights. He'll assume that you'll lust after other people. It's it's messy, but it's it's interesting that he bookends at the beginning and the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this idea of practice. So in in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 19, he says these, Therefore, anyone who sets aside... This is the NIV version, by the way. The uh, the CSB, which we have in the pews, is fine, uh, but it it doesn't capture this fully. So the NIV says this, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then what does he say in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Practice. is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had this foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, they beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Practice. 
if we are to be an apprentice of Jesus, being with him, being like him and doing what he did, it will require intentional practice. But there's a great warning for us here. What many of us hear when we hear the word practice is that we just need to try harder. Do more, do better, wake up earlier, stay up later, just, just try harder because you guys suck. Right? That's what we hear. Is like, well, I'm not doing a good enough job and so I've just got to muster all the energy I have after living my life the way I've been living my life and I've, I've just got to do better. It's not what's happening. There's this idea that uh, John Ortberg Uh, I got it from him and others um, have taught it. It's not about trying, it's about training. That's what life in the kingdom is like. It's not about trying harder, it's about training well. Can we get the next slide, Aiden? I I wonder if any of you have uh, wanted to do a marathon before. Just hands up if you've ever wanted one day at any point in your life to do a marathon. All right, Jay, excellent, right? You're going to be the person I pick on. Okay. Now, Jay, do you run at the moment? Rarely. rarely. All right. I think that describes everyone's running, uh, rarely. That could be any time from I've run once in my life to I've run once this year. Now, if Jay, the next tomorrow morning, was like, all right, I want to run a marathon. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run a marathon. I'm going to run the 42.4 kilometers. And uh, he really wants to do it. So he's really energized. He, he, he runs rarely in his own words. How far do you think Jay could get before he dies? <laughs> right, just tomorrow morning, he's just, I'm going to run a marathon. No step up. I'm just going to run the 42.4 kilometers. What's going to happen to Jay? He's going to collapse and die. Thank you, John. Okay. That's exactly right. Jay is going to collapse and die. Now, hands up if you actually have run a marathon before. No one. I think rarely describes all of our running styles at the moment. <laughs> Okay. Hands up if you've run uh, more than 20 kilometers. All right, Brad. Yes. Okay, so Brad's a great guy. Right? Brad's run 20 kilometers before. And imagine tomorrow morning that Brad says, Jay, I'm going to run with you. Right? I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to stand behind you and encourage you. Say, Jay, Jay, you need to keep on going. You're going to do so well. You know, Brad's got the Holy Spirit, and so he can encourage you. He can anoint you with holy oil. As you're running and sweating, he's going to cast out demons. Right? Jay, how, how long do you think you're going to last? don't know. I think that if he might have got three or four kilometers tomorrow morning without Brad, he might go five kilometers with Brad, right? And then he will die. <laughs> then he will collapse and uh, faint and really, really struggle. Now, we laugh about this, but I think often we do the same thing with Jesus. is that we go, all right. I'm all in. I want to be an all-in apprentice with Jesus. I'm going to do it all. And then we get discouraged because even though we've tried hard, it's not fully working. But it's not about trying. It's about training. You know, I, I look at someone like Suzanne who has this incredible life of prayer and like her, her, her mindset is, I want to be praying all the time. And I go, well, why, why don't I do that? Well, I don't live the lifestyle that Suzanne does, but also Suzanne's been at this a little longer than me. Like, that's not an insult, Suzanne. That's an encouragement. Suzanne has been cultivating a life of prayer and so she's been training. So her first response to difficulty or trial is prayer. It's not because she tries really hard even though she does, it's because she's trained really well. If we want to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus and to do what he did, it is going to require training. We have to have the long view in mind. 
not to be like Jay who runs rarely and collapses after five kilometers. I'm sure you could do better than a man. I'm, you'll be fine. We want to have the long view in mind. I love um, Eugene Peterson is a, a Christian author uh, who wrote a book, and I love the title. Can we get this up on the screen, Aiden? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what a daily apprenticeship with Jesus is. A long obedience in the same direction. And here's the thing. I think that life with Jesus is so good that what most of us experience is just the dregs, just the smallest amount of life with Jesus. And what I want us to experience is the fullness of it, the abundant life that he talks about. But that means tomorrow morning we wake up and we go, okay, Jesus, what does this look like for us? Maybe it looks like incorporating just one of the spiritual disciplines into your life. Maybe it's fasting or silence and solitude and just just meeting with Jesus. I don't know what it looks like, but I know this. This invitation to a life with Jesus, of being with him and becoming like him and doing what he did is open to everybody. It doesn't matter whether this is the first time you've entered into the church gates. It doesn't matter whether you've been here for 500 times. This invitation is for all of us. And in fact, I think we all need to hear it. You can be in church all of your life and not experience the fullness of what Jesus says. But I want to be with him. I want to be like him. I want to do what he did. And to do that means we need to be transformed. So I'm going to pray for us, church, and we're going to sing and we're going to be encouraged by each other in a little bit. We're going to share about what God has been revealing to us as we've fasted and prayed in the last week. But just consider that for a moment. Am I in this daily apprenticeship with him? Am I with him? Am I being like him? If I plotted out my character arc, am I becoming like Jesus or becoming like something else? Am I on the way to being able to do what he did? Because if not, that's something we've really got to consider. I think this life, the way of Jesus, is transformative. Don't miss out. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's clear. We thank you that it's challenging. We also thank you that it's comforting. We thank you that we have the rabbi Jesus, our teacher, our saviour, to follow in his footsteps. God, I pray that as we consider this, that as we work out what it would look like to be aware of and in relationship with the Spirit, abiding and remaining in the vine, what it would look like for us to become like Jesus, what we would need to do to do what Jesus did, what would need to happen for him to be the focal point of our lives, I pray that we don't lose sight of the fact that you are in this with us. This is not something that we do by effort. This is something we do by the Spirit. God, let us walk in step with you. Fill us with courage, fill us with endurance, and fill us with Jesus. Lord, we pray this in his precious name. Amen.